0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We have been in the middle of a series, and our series is called Live Like. And the whole series is about six leaders who listened to God and led people through incredibly difficult times. And the whole idea of the series is this, is if we can learn from their past, then we can lead in our futures. And so we've been looking at six leaders. And this week, I want to tell you about a guy that I think is incredible, but amazingly, You don't hear much about this guy in the Bible. He only features a little bit, but his name is Gideon. And Gideon uh, was an incredible leader who actually changed the direction of a nation. He changed the entire direction of Israel. Gideon is mentioned in a uh, a passage of scriptures that is in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And it, he is listed in this area that we would call the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And he is mentioned there because of the great things that he did in his lifetime. Gideon uh, was also a judge. And, and you might not know this, especially if you're new to church, But back in this time, in this era in Israel's history, they didn't have kings. They had judges, and the judges would help to lead the nation. So I'm going to dive straight into the Scriptures today. Uh, And if you have a Bible, you should have a Bible. Gosh, you're at home. Go get that Bible. Bring it back. But if you don't have one, it's cool. No problem. We will put it on the screen for you. I'm going to read to you out of Judges chapter 6 in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizorite while his son Gideon was beating out wine in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the, uh, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of Ella. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. Gosh, that didn't sound mighty, did it? But He says to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Have you ever asked the question, Why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why are things going wrong in my life? Why did this have to happen, right? Man, I feel like that's a question that a lot of people will ask from time to time. And the truth is, is that sometimes things are unfair. Sometimes things happen to you and it's not fair and it's not reasonable and it's just the way that life is. But there is this law called the law of causality. And the law of causality is this law of cause and effect. In other words, you do something now and it has an effect later on. In fact, if we were gonna take this idea of uh, cause and effect and and put it into a biblical principle, we would probably say it is the principle of sowing and reaping. It's like you sow things in your present and they're gonna affect you later on. And I think that this is sometimes the sign of a mature person is that they understand that what they're doing now will affect them later on in life. The trick is to do the best with what you can right now so that you can enjoy some blessings later on but not everyone gets this not everyone understands this what you do now and the decisions that you make today they will have a profound impact on your future. So here is Israel and they are stuck and we read this story where we pick it up where Gideon is in the wine press and he's threshing out the wheat. Now You know, I understand that most of us, you know, I can't remember when the last time was that you were threshing out wheat. So maybe you don't understand what this really means, or or you've never done that before. You're in really good company today. Look at the person next to you and just say, if you ever threshed some wheat, they have not. They They have not threshed wheat. So anyway, you don't want to really be threshing wheat in the wine press because it's an enclosed space. And I guess I'm kind of, you know, imagining what it would be like, but I kind of imagine just the little bits of wheat and the the husks and the whatever it is, like all those little bits would be flying around in there, and you would probably have to wear your coronavirus mask, actually. You could probably put that on and hope that you didn't breathe any of it in. But it's all around you and you're breathing it in, right? Well, Gideon is in the wine press, not threshing wheat outside, but he's threshing it inside in the wine press. Now why is he doing it? Well, it says. You know, he wanted to hide from the Midianites. And it's at this exact moment that the angel of the Lord shows up and he just kind of completely interrupts the narrative. And that's what God does. Like God just shows up in people's lives and He interrupts their lives. And, and God has done this to me. He's done this to so many people that I know. I remember many years ago, I was just driving home from a friend's house. At this exact moment in my life, man, I was so far from God. I didn't really want anything to do with God, but He began to speak to me. It was the most amazing thing because that particular day, I just decided that I wanted to find a church. Well, I was driving in an area that I was unfamiliar with And I found a a church eventually. I came across this church and and, and I just decided to go in. It was the first time in 10 years that I had ever been to a church. And I opened the doors and then suddenly here are some of my family sitting in this church. I didn't even know that they went to church. They're like, do you wanna come sit with me? And I, I sat with them, I had this incredible encounter with God and it transformed my life. I am not alone. People's lives are transformed when they have encounters with God. And the reason we have encounters with God is because He just comes and interrupts the story. In fact, the the truth is, is that if God didn't interrupt us, not much about our lives would probably change. You know, that's the way it is. I I remember thinking that day that that I went back to church, I remember thinking I was looking for God, it's not true the reason I was looking for God is because He was doing something in my heart. And I just learned that later on down the track, but He comes and He He changes our stories, you know? And the reason that God does this is because He loves us. He changes our stories because He loves us. And so God comes to Gideon and He says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And I'm reading this story and, and even I think that sounds odd since Gideon is in the wine press and threshing out the wheat. I, I bet you that that was not lost on Gideon. Gideon was probably thinking, you know, you might say that whoever you are, person that's just come. But the truth is, is that I don't think that God is with me. I, I don't feel like I am a mighty man of valor. I don't feel like that at all. And that's okay because sometimes we don't always feel like that, but God is still doing something in us. and 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 he asks this question of, the angel of the Lord, who he didn't really realize who the angel of the Lord was at this moment. But he asked him this question and he says, well, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened? Why us? Why am I going through this? Why do we have to go through these challenges? Why are we going through this right now? I mean, I've heard the stories I've heard the stories of our fathers and they they talked about these great things that God did, these great things as He led people out from Egypt. I've heard about the signs and I've heard about the wonders. The stories have been passed down to generation, but now it comes to my generation and I can't figure out why we're in this situation. I mean, why are we here? Why us? And Lord, where are You? I think that there are so many people, that have asked the exact same question that Gideon did in this moment. They want to know why, if God is with them, that they are going through these incredible challenges. And I guess Gideon didn't really understand the law of causality. He didn't understand about cause and effect. See, often the reason you are where you are is because of the choices that you have made. Now hear me out because I know that there are things all the time that happen to us, but then you get the choice of how to handle it. So a lot of where you are right now has a lot to do with the choices that you've made, how you've handled your challenges, how you've handled your circumstances. And for Israel, it's no different. The scene is a really horrible scene. I mean, here is Midian who have been coming to Israel And they have been stealing their crops for the last seven years. They've just been taking their stuff. Now, that's the reason why Gideon's in the wine press, because he doesn't want to attract the wrong kind of attention from the Midianites. And he doesn't want them to come and and, and take their stuff. This is why everyone's enclosed up and, and indoors. Seven years they've been going through this. Why are they going through this? Well, you know what? If you were to read the book of Judges and you were to go to the very beginning, you really don't have to wonder too much because they do a great job of answering that question in chapter two of Judges and verse 19. This one verse should clear it up for you. It says, but whenever a judge died, and remember those were the people that led Israel. Whenever a judge died, they, being Israel, turned their back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. The reason Israel is where they are at this point in the story is because of the choices that they made. They made a choice to stop worshiping God and they made a choice to start worshiping other gods. And as a direct result of that choice, God pulled back His His hand of protection from them and they had to deal with the opposition in the land, which came in the form of the Midianites. Now, this is a really important thing for you to understand because God is not responsible to bless all of your choices. Just because you do something doesn't mean that God is going to bless it. And in fact, sometimes in His grace, what He does is He will bring you to a situation or a circumstance where you'll actually realize that you made the wrong choice. And the whole hope that God has is that you will change the decisions that you're making, that you change your life. This is where Israel is in this story. He won't bless their decision to worship other gods. And the reason that they started to worship all the other gods is simply because, and I'm going to make up a word here. I feel like it's a good word and hopefully you will get what I mean when I say it, right? But simply put, they were Canaanized. They were Canaanized. They were convinced and influenced by the surrounding culture. They looked around at the culture of everyone else and they said, we want to be more like them. They looked around at the culture and they said, well, everyone else has got like little idols and they've got gods and, and, and why can't we have that? We, we want to have what everyone else has. And so they did. They went after it and they started to worship all these, other God, all these other false gods, right? Now, I want to tell you something that I think you need to understand today. It is so easy to be canonized. It is so easy to be canonized. It is so easy to be convinced by the culture that is around you. It's easy for people to want to fit in and even compromise their Values to compromise what they believe in in order to fit in and blend in with other people, compromising on convictions, things that you previously held as true, but now in order to fit in, if you, if you have to let go of your convictions in order to fit in, I've got to tell you, you're making a big mistake. Please don't ever do that. And I sometimes, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to brand every teenager. I don't want to brand every young person, but I I get worried about young people. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the older you get, the less you seem to care about the opinions of other people. So I think that there are periods of time in a person's life where they are more susceptible to the influence of the culture because they desire to fit in. Sometimes they desire to to be liked, you know, and I I worry about people, especially young people, that are prepared to compromise their convictions in order to fit in with what the culture says is okay to do. I I, honestly I, I get concerned about that. You should never have to compromise your convictions to fit in with people. If you, if you are compromising your convictions to fit in with people, you're probably trying to impress the wrong people. I can tell you right now, you care too much about the wrong opinions. Here's what you need. You need to have some good boundaries in place. Everyone should have boundaries. And this is the way that boundaries work, right? You never try to figure out your boundaries when you are neck deep in trouble. The way that you work with boundaries is you predetermine the lines that you refuse to cross. And because you've predetermined it, you've done it with wisdom and insight. And you've said, that's where we're not going to go. We're never going to cross that line. And when you're in the heat of the moment, whatever the moment is, it's in that space where you think back and you say, no, 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 we already determined that we were not going to cross that line. You know, like if you're going to go and buy a car in a car yard, you should predetermine the boundaries of your budget before you go in there and spend time with a salesperson that decides to upgrade you to the next model or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Listen, you've just got to have great boundaries in place and in your heart, carry the conviction and say, I'm, I'm not going to cross this. I'm not going to do it. Well, Israel, they, they they didn't really do this. They actually completely crossed the line. And they did it because they thought, wouldn't it be really cool if we had like little gods? Like if we had, wouldn't it be cool if we had like, like false gods that were just around the village and that would be so cool. You got to be careful about what you think cool is. And, and, and so here they are, And they had these thoughts. Remember, it always begins with a thought. It'd be cool if we could be like everyone else. And then that, that thought actually led them to, at some point in this story, in their history, someone was the first person to bring in a false god there was an action and the action began to become the behavior of the people and eventually the behaviors when repeated through times and over generations it became the culture and now israel have shifted so far from where they were ever meant to be but they are now surrounded by a culture that has completely embraced crossing this line. And so now they're more lost than they've ever been in their life. This is important to understand. You need to know that compromise comes in increments. Compromise comes in increments. Sometimes it's just little by little, and it can be so subtle that you don't even realize that you're moving. You don't even realize that you're migrating. Compromise comes in increments. So if you can't handle it, and it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever it is, if you can't handle it, you should get rid of it, whatever it is. Whatever is in your life right now that you know you can't handle, if it's an environment, get rid of it. If it's a place you shouldn't be, don't go there. Whatever it is in your life right now that's causing you to lose control and forget your moral convictions and cross the line, you need to get rid of it. There are some places and environments that maybe you just shouldn't go. And I'm, I'm certainly, let me tell you what I'm not. I am not the moral police. Okay, that's not what church is about. We're not trying to moralize everybody, right? But I'm just saying to you that if you know that if you go out with your friends to the club and you can't control yourself in that environment, well, stop going. I mean, come on, this, this ain't rocket science, is it? Like, do, you, do we really not get this? I mean, if you can't control yourself, just, you know, don't go. Don't go there. It's not helpful for you. If you have, if you have an Instagram account, and you're, you're going through your feed, but you keep you, you know, like looking at all of the wrong pictures and the things that maybe you shouldn't be looking at, you know what? Get rid of it. Just delete the app. If it's causing you to cross a boundary, just get rid of it. And, and I already hear the objection from people, not everyone, but some people that say, but but, but, all of my friends are on there and, and the people that I know, I mean, th- that's how we connect. Like, you know, well, I'm going to miss out on stuff. Let me, let me tell you something right now you probably don't realize how much you really will miss out on should you continue to go down that path. If you can't handle it, get rid of it. You're on TikTok, you can't handle it, get rid of it. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that any of this stuff is necessarily wrong. But I mean, you've got to understand where your own boundaries are. But if you're in an environment or if you're engaging in something that you can't handle, you've just got to get rid of it. Because for Israel, idols were the cause. The effect is that they were completely oppressed by Midian. Now listen to chapter six and verse one. Here's what it says. It says that God gave Israel into the hand of Midian. Finally, after all of this time, they've they've gone away from God. They don't want to listen to Him anymore. He removes His protection and He just gives them into the hand of Midian. Let me ask you a question today. What does it really take for you to change your life? Like, what does it take for you to change your life? What would it take? I mean, if you are the kind of person that have a high threshold for drama in your life, you may go through a lot of stuff and have a really hard life before you decide to make a change. If you have a low threshold for drama in your life, it's like the moment you breach that boundary and you realize what you've done, you could just turn around and come back. You know, I mean, if you've got a high threshold, you're going to go through stuff. If you have a low threshold, it's going to be better for you. And I feel like today, even as I say this, Whether you go to church or not, and it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian, it really doesn't. I just feel like there are so many people who are listening to this message right now who, honestly, in their heart of hearts, would know that they have crossed a line at some point in their life that they thought they'd never cross. Everyone. I think we're all in this together. Like, don't feel judged at this moment. I've done it, you've done it, at some point, you've crossed a line and done something that you thought you wouldn't do. And when you, when you cross the line and you've, you've engaged in something that you thought that you would never be engaged in, like when you cross that line and you're far from God, I want to give you a piece of encouragement today that I hope will change your life. Just come back to God. Yeah, I mean, it's not complicated, is it? No, I'm not trying to make it complicated. Just, just come back to God. And if you think that you can't, you can. You can just make that decision today to turn around and come back to God. See, you can always change the direction of your life. You can always change the direction of your life. Now, in church, when somebody is going far away from God and they make a decision to turn around and come back to God, we have a word for that. And the word that we would use is repentance. Now, forget... If you, especially if you're new to church, forget what you think you know about repentance. Because if you think about that word, it, I don't know, like maybe in your mind, you imagine somebody standing out the front on the steps to a, a train station with a big sign in the city that says, repent, you know, and that, that's what you think it is. And, it's, and it's, it comes across and it's so, it seems so judgmental, right? So, so maybe that's what you think it is. Let me tell you, just forget what you think you know about repentance, because I'm going to tell you what it is. It just means I was going one direction, and I was moving away from God. And now I've made the decision that I don't wanna do that anymore. So now I'm just gonna turn around and I'm gonna come back to God. That's what repentance is. That's what Israel was supposed to do in this exact moment. See, you need to understand that God, He begins to change people by first changing their thinking. Before you ever change direction, you've got to change your thinking. So this is what God says to Gideon. He comes and He says to him, Hey, you mighty man of valor is probably thinking, right? No, 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 I am not the mighty man of valor that you talk about. Uh, what are you talking about? My, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. And then God says something that is a, a total game changer. He says, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And it's amazing because this is the exact same five words that God said to Moses, when Moses felt ill-equipped, Moses said, I can't just walk back into Egypt, go to Pharaoh and say, let all of the Hebrews go. I I can't do that. And God says, "But, but you know, Moses, I will be with you. And that's the difference. I will be with you. See, there's something about having the presence of God with you. There's something about God being with you that totally changes the outcome. And maybe you've attempted things on your own, you've tried to do it on your own, and it just hasn't worked out. But when you do something with God, His power is enough that it overwhelms and overcomes the opposition, and the situation unfolds completely differently. you got to realize that when God comes to you, when God says to you, you mighty man of valor, however that is for you, or He ever asks you to do anything ever for Him, Right? He sees more in you than you can sometimes see in yourself. And the reason God sees more in you than you see in you is not because God sees this incredible, amazing person with unlimited capacity. No, 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 no. The reason why God is so confident when He comes and He speaks to people is because He knows what He is capable of. It's not about you. God knows what He's capable of. He knows what He can do in the lives of other people. See, this is why I'm saying, God is the greatest hero in all of these stories. In every story, He is the hero. He knows what He can do with you, which is why He's so confident when He comes to you. Remember this, God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. He comes to Gideon, and he says, come on, mighty man of valor, go in this strength of yours, right? So anyway, as the story goes, Gideon says, hey, listen, why don't you stick around for a meal? And he goes and he prepares this meal and he, and he puts it on this rock and the angel of the Lord is there, but remember Gideon doesn't really know who he is. And then suddenly fire comes out from the rock and, and, and the angel of the Lord goes up in the flame and Gideon freaks out because he suddenly realizes who had been speaking to him that whole time. It's so cool because what God did in that moment is He took an ordinary and everyday meal that Gideon was preparing and he turned it into a sacrifice. Gideon didn't even know he was preparing one. And so the angel of the Lord Lord, turns it into a sacrifice and Gideon says, I have seen God. Now that might not mean much to you, but back in this time, if you saw God, there's a good chance that you would die because no one can look at God and live. Next God comes to Gideon and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tear down the Asherah poles and I want you to pull down all the Baal idols. I want you to get rid of that stuff. And and Gideon, he hears what the Lord says to him, but he's still kind of scared because he says, if I do that, all the people in the village, they're they're not going to be happy with me, right? And he's kind of scared of the opinions of the people and what they will do to him. Now, let me ask you a question. Are your fears in order? Not your affairs. Not your affairs. No, 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 no. Are your fears? Fears in order. Are your fears in order? Gideon's so afraid of what the people might do, it's almost like for just a brief moment he forgot who he was talking to. So you always obey your greatest fear. And and if you have a fear of men, if you have a fear of the opinions of other people, then it could be that every time you're presented with an opportunity that you will just go the way of culture or you will just go the way of, of popular opinion. Why? Because you're so concerned of the opinions of people. You're afraid that you'll be on the outside. You're afraid, you're afraid that you'll be rejected by other people. Man, the apostle Paul, this is something that he said. He said, you know, if I was um, afraid of people, I wouldn't be a, ser- a servant of Christ. I certainly would not be a Christian. I would not be a Christian because there will be moments in your life where God will ask you to move in a completely different direction. And if you're so afraid of other people that you you just want to go with the crowd and just fit in with everyone else, when it comes time to obey God, you're just going to go the wrong way and you, you don't wanna end up in that place. Listen, what are you more afraid of? Other people's opinions or what God says? You know, it's almost like sometimes we have this internal scale when we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do or how we make decisions. Imagine it like this. On this scale, you've on one side you've got the weightiness of people's opinions, and on the other side, you've got the weightiness of God's words to you and God's opinion. And whichever one weighs the most in your life, that will be the one that you obey. Now, I think it's interesting because you know that the word honor, it's not a word that we use very often these days, but actually honor, the closest thing we have to the word honor to look at when you look at the original language and what it means to honor. Honor, it means weight. In other words, when you honor someone, you honor them because their words carry great weight in your life. Listen, you will not honor God if you're afraid of other people. If you put people ahead of who God is. I mean, look, even thinking about it, the the basic, most fundamental part of being a Christian is it not to share the gospel and to just let people know about who Jesus is. If you're incredibly afraid of having the opinions of other people rejecting you, how are you ever going to talk to people about this incredibly uplifting message called the gospel? I mean, man, Jesus came and died on the cross for people's sins. He's done it all. All you need to do is tell people. But if you're always afraid of what they'll say, if you do, you'll never do the basic fundamentals of what God has asked. I mean, even the great philosopher Ice Cube, he said this, when the truth comes around, all the lies have got to run and hide. Preach it, Mr. Cube. I think so. Because when you see truth and when you see things the way that they really are, everything else that you believe should find its place. In fact, if you get one thing out of this message today, if you're going to remember one thing, let it be this. If you put God first everything finds its place. If you put God first, everything finds its place. You think about it. If you put God first, money will find its place. Money finds its place. You don't serve it, it serves you. If you put God first, all your fears However many fears you have and what you're worried about, everything that you're anxious about right now, it'll find its place. I'm not saying that you won't ever go through seasons where you'll be afraid. I mean, there's going to be challenging times ahead, undoubtedly, but at least fear will find its place. You put God first truth will find its place. You put God first, peace will find its place. The peace that surpasses understanding. Why? Because we understand who God is. We see Him as He is. He's sovereign, He's in charge, He's in control. And I'm not gonna walk around filled with anxiety because I know who my God is. So you put God first and everything will find its place. And, And this is what you need to do. You need to get everything in order before it goes wrong. Because by the time you realize you're lost, you've already been lost a while. That's why you gotta predetermine your boundaries. You gotta predetermine all of these things. Get your life in order now. So Gideon comes and he tears down these idols at night. He tears down these idols at night because he's so concerned that people going to judge him, he still does it at, at night, but at least he had the courage to do it. And the reason that he did is because a new fear has displaced an old one. Suddenly he realised who God is, and what God is capable of. And that shifted the fear of people out from where it was. See, if you wanna live like Gideon, you need to get your life in order and start to see who God really is and then give Him the appropriate place in your life. And if you read the rest of the story, like everyone wakes up in the morning and the people come out of the village and they realize what's happened and the Asherah poles have been torn down and and, and the Baal has been taken down and they say, who's done this? And anyway, they figure it out and they realize it was Gideon and they say to Gideon's dad, hey, you should get him out here because we are going to kill Gideon. And Gideon's dad, Joash, he says, are you kidding me? Are you actually gonna contend for Baal? This is what he says. He says, you know, if Baal is really God, let him come down here and defend himself. But no one's touching my son and, and no one does touch him. And while in the midst of all of these things that's happening, meanwhile, the Midianites and the Amalekites have encamped against Israel just a few miles from where all of this is taking place. And I wanna read it to you out of Judges chapter 6, verse 33. And I'm gonna read through to verse 40. It says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizarites who were called out to follow him. And he sent messages throughout Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messages to Asher, Zebulun, uh, and Naphtali and they went up to meet them. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, "If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said." And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me, because he's kind of now testing God. He says, let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew." This is such an interesting passage of Scripture. I I get why Gideon was wanting to do this thing with the fleece, you know, because he's kind of thinking, man, if we're wrong about this, we are in so much trouble. So he just really wants to be absolutely certain that God is with him and he does this thing with the fleece. Here's something that's kind of interesting. If you're new to church, you might not realize this, and maybe you've never been to church, but but sometimes Christian people, they have their own language. They they say these things and we're like, what are you talking about? And sometimes it takes maybe a little while to just get the hang of what people mean. I remember being new to church and I was trying to make a decision with my life. And someone said, hey man, why don't you just put out a fleece? I'm like, put out a fleece? What is that about? What do you mean? First of all, what's a fleece, right? What do, you, what do you mean? Like a rug? Like what? You want me to get a rug? Wait a minute. I'm trying to make a decision you want me to put a rug out? Like, what is this? Like, sometimes I'm telling you, even when you're in church and you've been around there, I still think it's odd sometimes. I think it's kind of funny. But Christian people sometimes have this thing and they say, hey, man, put out a fleece. And it's weird because it's almost like we've developed this theology out of this one little excerpt of Scripture. I get when you want to be really certain of something that God is going to do in your life. Sometimes you might ask for a sign. Sometimes you just want to be absolutely certain. And you've got to remember that back in this time when this happened, right, it wasn't usual for God to come and speak to people in this day. So because it was unusual, Gideon was just wanting to make absolutely certain that God was really doing something. But hey, come on, let's not necessarily develop a theology out of this. You know, the scripture that we read, there's this cool part in there that I just kind of breezed over, but it said that God came and clothed Gideon, right? Well, in the New Testament, right, it says that God comes and He people, So I don't want to build a theology out of a fleece when I can have a completely different approach to God. See, in the New Testament, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you learn to hear the voice of God. I'm telling you right now, what's better than putting out a fleece is learning to understand the voice of Jesus. You know that Jesus says, my sheep, they know my voice. What we should be doing is not just putting out fleeces and asking for signs all of the time. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. What we should really do is say, let me hear your voice. Let me know who you are. Let me know when it is that you're speaking to me, God. I want to hear your voice. I want to follow it. But, but, you know, Gideon, he wants this sign. He needs a sign that God is for him. Sometimes people who haven't heard the voice of God before, sometimes then they were looking for a sign from God that He's there. You know, maybe a sign from God that He's listening. Maybe a sign from God that He cares. But I'm so glad we don't have to put out a fleece. We don't have to put out a fleece because you know what? Jesus is our fleece. He is the sign from God who says to humanity, I am always for you. If you're new to church or you're not a Christian and you don't understand anything, let me tell you something about the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the sign to all humanity that you never have to wonder about whether God is for you. Yes, every day God loves you. Yes, every day God is for you. He is the fleece that says to every single person, I love you, I care about you, I'm in your corner, I'll fight your battles, come to me, I'll help you in your time of need. He is the fleece that we've been looking for. And I love that he's there. I love that he loves people. Man, I just think that the gospel is so encouraging. The gospel is a simple message that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. And you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you right now that all you need to do to, to follow Jesus is to change the direction that you're going right now. Remember, I, I told you it was repentance. All you gotta do is forget the way that you're going and say, you know what, I'm gonna come back to God. And someone's going to say, "Oh, you can't do that." Maybe you hear a voice in your head, "Hey, you can't do that." Yes, you can. Yes, you can, because Jesus died for your sins. He is the fleece that tells you you can come back to me. You messed up again. You can come back to me. No matter how many mistakes you've been, you've made, or wherever you find yourself today, I promise you this: you can always come back to God. Now, here's the thing: I, I really believe that God doesn't set people up to fail. I don't think he does. So. They've still got this battle going on. Remember, Gideon's still fighting this battle. And so God comes to Gideon and Gideon's raised this army. And now after the fleece, you know, they're on their way to have this big battle with the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the East. So here they are, they're on their way. And and God says, Ah, look, you know what? I feel like Gideon, you, you just got too many people. Now, what does it say about the Amalekites? It says they were like locusts. Like there were like so many people, they descended upon villages like locusts. You you couldn't even count them, right? And God says, you know what, Gideon? I just reckon you got too many people. We need to thin this army out. Gideon had 22,000 people that he had raised up to come and fight against the Amalekites and the Midianites. And God reduces that number over time down to about 300 people. Let me tell you something. Anytime you are ever overwhelmed by the odds against you, you might not be seeing God clearly. Because you and God are enough for any opposition that can come against you. You and God are more than enough for every opposition that comes against you. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the God of all power and all authority across time and space. You gotta get a clear picture of who God is. You and God is enough to overwhelm anything that could ever come against you. So He gives these 300 guys that are left, He gives them this crazy battle plan. And here it is, He says, you know what? You're gonna surround as best as you." you can with 300 people, the camp of the Amalekites and the Midianites, you're going to surround them and you're going to get torches and you're going to put them in a in a clay jar so that no one can see you coming. And you're going to sneak up on the enemy and you're going to have trumpets, right? Now, this, if it's not from God, is the most insane strategy to win a war ever. Because the one thing that, that I didn't mention is that there's no sword and there's no shield. They're not going into battle with swords and shields. They're going into battle with pots and torches and and, and trumpets you know what a crazy way to attack another army that is outnumbering you and he says you're gonna get around them and then at one moment you're gonna shout out for God and for Gideon and then you're gonna smash the clay jars and everyone will see the torches all at once and you're gonna blow the trumpets and they'll hear all the trumpets right and and, and you'll win and so Gideon's like let's do it so he comes and and they do everything that God says Well, the Amalekites and the Midianites, maybe they didn't really know each other well, because you've got to remember, there is a big army that's come together from different nations to come and take on Israel. So here they are all together and they don't know what's happening. So they start, you know, they're stabbing each other. Everyone's killing each other. And meanwhile, Gideon, And the other 300 guys, they're just watching it happen. They end up killing themselves and then the remaining people flee and Gideon chases them down. Man, this is one of the most remarkable victories that you'll ever read about in history. And up to this point to destroy them, they didn't even swing a sword. See, there are times and time again, God says, I will fight your battle for you. You gotta learn when God has already fought for you and won. See, I'm telling you right now that God's God's ability and God's sovereignty and His favor is greater than in all of your talent. Three hundred people should never have won that victory. They were farmers, but what did they do? I'll tell you what they did. They put God first. Everything found its place. The Midianites found their place. The Amalekites found their place. And Israel found their place. And if God did it for them, He'll do it for you. What you gotta do is make a decision to put God first. And I don't know what's been trying to knock Him off the throne of your heart. Maybe your heart has been giving way to fear at this time and this season, what's happening, pandemic, coronavirus, I don't know. Maybe it's money, you're anxious about what you'll do. I don't know. But I know this, that if you put God first, your wealth, your fears, truth, peace, Everything will find its place. I want to pray for anyone that's listening to this message today and says, I want to put you first. I want to make sure that you're first in my heart, God, and everything can find its place after that. So let me pray for you. Father, I just want to bring before you anybody that's listening to this message and things have been competing for that space in their heart. Lord, I pray that you set them free right now. I pray in Jesus' name. That they find the strength to take you and put you in your proper place. That they get their fears in order. And not that we should be afraid of you, God, but we have this holy awe and reverence as we approach you. We see your significance and how big and how mighty and how amazing you are. And once we see you as you are, everything else can be overwhelmed in our life by how amazing you are. Father, I pray right now for just peace to come across every person that says, God, you're first in my life. You're first in my life. I pray everything finds its place after that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.